Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Apart from the nuclear file, Iran's activities in Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq, compounded by maritime aggression in the Arabian Gulf and its vicinity, brought home to pro-Western regional governments the need for wider and deeper military and security cooperation. Two of the major linchpins in this new array of forces are CENTCOM's 5th Fleet and the Israel Defense Forces Air Force and Navy. To go deeper into this development, we are joined from Washington, D.C. by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is a former Assistant Secretary of State for Political and Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Certainly. Also joining us from Central Israel is retired Brigadier General Relik Shafir, who is a former Israeli Air Force Commander. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Good afternoon. Indeed, and and uh, with me in the studio is our TV7 editor at large and host of both TV7 Watchmen Talk and Powers and Play, among others. Mr. Owen, give us a uh, short understanding of the current state of play. So we have uh, with us um, two participants in these activities. Well, uh, we here are only spectators um, <coughs> looking uh, from the galleries. So let me uh, be very short. Uh, both the um, uh, Air Force component of CENTCOM, AFCENT, which used to be called CENTAF, but now AFCENT, um, headed by General uh, Gregory uh, Gio, uh, and the Fifth Fleet under uh, Vice Admiral uh, Brad Cooper have been cooperating in a magnificent way with their uh, opposite numbers in the Israeli Navy and Air Force, and it's a very encouraging sign. Indeed, and uh, let's immediately go to one of the uh, generals who, who coordinated, created one of the architects of many of the various aspects, General Kimmet. Uh, to what degree do you see the unique relationship, not only between uh, CENTCOM or the U.S. military with uh, responsibility of the Middle East and Israel, but rather also from a broader perspective, since Israel is a newcomer into this AOR, uh, speaking about Saudi Arabia, of course, other Gulf Arab uh, states and, and neighboring countries uh, with which the United States has close cooperation. Well, first of all, it's clear that bringing Israel into the uh, AOR from its former position in the European Command has been a force multiplier and will continue to be a force multiplier in any defense and deterrence against Iranian activity. Uh, But there still remains that fatal flaw of integrated air defense within the region. Clearly, the United States and Israel will share. uh, But even before Israel came into the CENTCOM AOR, we've continued to have a challenge with bringing the countries in the region into an integrated early warning, shared intelligence, and common defense Uh, alignment. Uh, There was some talk during the Trump administration of perhaps this could be solved by some sort of Middle East NATO. That was a foolish uh, proposal by those that thought it could work, uh, because if we can't even get down to the fundamental question of shared early warning for incoming Iranian missiles, I still remain a little concerned that no matter how we continue to advance the regional capabilities, 
if there isn't sharing among the participants of intelligence and early warning, I think we've left a tremendous vulnerability to the missile threat from Iran uh, going forward. Indeed. General Shafir, your take on the unique relationship and, and the various components of that? Taking into consideration the fact that uh, what uh, General Kimmett said is true, um, let's look at the optimistic side. You compare where we're now uh, to where we were, let's say, two years ago, uh, we've been great strides. Major problem is that the Arab countries themselves, Gulf states themselves, and the other countries uh, cannot share information, let alone um, share it with Israel. And there's also a question of do they want to be uh, seen as direct uh, collaborators with Israel? Um, what do they think about the role the U.S. is playing at this time? Uh, and the U.S. has certainly withdrawn from their previous position of uh, wanting to lead uh, a coalition um, and are, I guess, losing interest in what happens in the area. That's, that's uh, the way that both Israel and the uh, Gulf states see this. So it's a... It's a mixed question that, unlike the way we think in the West, if I may say so, that there, there should be some coherence into what you say you're worried about and what you're willing to do in order to confront uh, the challenges. Um, usually in the Middle East, one thing is to be concerned with the challenges ahead, and another thing is doing something about it or uh, the logic that leads into collaboration um, and that leads to exercises, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think other than the uh, strategic point, there's also uh, a little bit of a cultural difference between the way we see challenges and their answers. General Kimmett, I saw your head shaking in acquiescence. Uh, uh, some of the points, however, that uh, uh, General Shafir has mentioned, uh, I would think that the Abraham Accords would have sold him by now. Is there some progress in deeper cooperation or collaboration between Israel and its uh, uh, Gulf partners beyond uh, the, the ones who have openly declared that they're seeking to uh, normalize relations with Israel? Well, what we're talking about here are military issues, not diplomatic issues. While you uh, can have shared diplomatic relations. Uh, we have diplomatic relations with China. We have diplomatic relationship with Russia. But I would not say that we're in the business of doing a lot of shared collaboration on military activities. And as I believe we all agree, it is uh, highly doubtful that by uh, uh, old standards that the uh, Gulf countries would share intelligence among themselves if you want to do this right, you've got to share intelligence with each other, uh, and you've got to have a shared common operational picture, which nobody seems willing to provide. Now, I would want to address the point about America losing interest in the region. Uh, interest in the region cannot simply be measured by boots on the ground. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that the American military is an extraordinarily flexible military in terms of being able to pivot 
its aircraft carriers from the South China Sea uh, to the Persian Gulf in no time at all. The same with its aircraft. I would also note that during the height of the tension with the Soviet Union uh, pre-1990, uh, the Americans did not have a significant troop presence on the ground sufficient to defeat the Russian forces, but it had an obligation to provide 10 divisions in 10 days. So I would simply say that the modern flexibility of the forces is probably that issue which will uh, continue to be the bedrock of American involvement, military involvement in the Middle East, because we can get them there fast and we can get them there potently. Uh, but in terms of the relationship between the Gulf partners, uh, that may have been improved diplomatically by uh, the Abraham Accords, but in many ways there hasn't been any improvement militarily. What, what do you say, however, to uh, the countries in the region which are seemingly concerned about uh, a perception, at least, of uh, an American withdrawal uh, at a time when maybe in practical measures uh, this is not the case, but uh, you can uh, ver provide various angles or schools of thought on this uh, specific issue. But how do you see or what do you relate to those partners in the region? Well, I think what we relate to the partners in the region is that we uh, not only maintain, but we increase the exercise program with these countries in the region. We continue to share significant amounts of intelligence with the countries in the region, and we continue to have arming, training, and equipping programs, particularly counterterrorism programs with those countries. Uh, candidly, the major diplomat we have in the region is not the local ambassador, it's not the State Department, but the best Uh, ambassador we have in the region is the CENTCOM commander who is in the region semi-permanently and spends most of his time working with those countries. And it's, he has the responsibility to carry that message and he has the responsibility to assure our uh, leaders in the region, the leaders in the region understand that the United States may be reduced in number, but at the same time we are not reduced in Uh, our willingness to uphold our treaty, our, our defense obligations. And candidly, uh, that's the job of the CENTCOM commander more so than anything else. Well, I, I know that uh, General Kimmitt has another commitment and uh, will uh, soon uh, leave us. So just one quick uh, question, uh, if I may. Uh, for the last uh, six months or so, uh, we have uh, seen both the withdrawal from Afghanistan and then the Russia-Ukraine Um, war, uh, both of them are not uh, that uh, predicted. All of the think tanks and institutions, uh, when they ha uh, had their annual uh, reports uh, at the beginning of 2021, uh, none of them had uh, these two. Uh, what's your assessment uh, of uh, the lessons that will be learned once we digest what has happened uh, in these two events? Well, I think we learned the lesson of Afghanistan in, in Vietnam in 1971, but however, we didn't seem to learn it very well. Uh, in terms of Russia, Ukraine, I think it will continue to recognize the need for ground conventional forces and treaty alliances. But anybody that thinks that somehow this is suggesting a grand tectonic shift in the nature of the world order, I think we'll soon get back to status quo in six months or so. But the one issue for both NATO Ukraine and for Afghanistan is a belief 
on our partners about the willingness of the United States to stand at their back when things get bad. And as I said earlier, that's another job of the CENTCOM commander to make sure and reassure that our partners that despite what they saw in Afghanistan and despite the lack of U.S. troops inside of Ukraine, uh, they have a reasonable probability of being supported by the United States in most crisis situations. Indeed. Thank you, General, uh, for your time. Uh, and uh, we know that you're heading to your no next engagement. So uh, we will continue from here also with uh, General Shafil. Uh, General Shafil, to what degree do you uh, feel convinced, if you may, uh, with regard to uh, the cooperation heading in the right direction between Israel and uh, its Gulf Arab partners, uh, particularly, but also those who are under the uh, umbrella of uh, the United States Central Command, uh, yet do not have normalized relations with the state of Israel? I think there are two parts, uh, two ways to answer this. One of them is that military cooperation per se is probably not in the court because the Gulf states um, recognize themselves as being primary targets uh, for Iran, no matter who strikes them, whether it be it uh, the U.S. or Israel or whoever, uh, they will be suffer. So they have an interest to keep the uh, uh, Iranians at bay by being uh, friendly, uh, appeasing, and we saw this in the last few months, uh, even though uh, they suffered some uh, attacks by their proxies. So this is one part of the situation. Another one, they would like to portray that there are um, they can thwart the Iranians and they can uh, threaten, uh, in a way, the Iranians by uh, letting them understand that they may cooperate with Israel, maybe not directly uh, of the same formation, so to speak, but maybe use of their airspace, maybe uh, uh, help by refueling on the ground, uh, other types of military, uh, uh, I would say, uh, back office cooperation. So they have a very delicate situation where they um, uh, play the Israeli card as a threat on the one hand, but not too much as to cause the Iranians to see them as, as uh, direct uh, enemies or collaborators. So um, I would say that uh, we saw the Israeli uh, Air Force commander visit in the area and, and, uh, and the, uh, the Gulf states were very hospitable and, uh, and, and uh, Prime Minister Bennett. Um, but I think this is part of the game that they have to play and uh, when the day comes and they need to be depended upon, uh, I don't think it's uh, something that we can solidly uh, or solidify at this point in time. Nonetheless, taking also General Kimmett's uh, remarks into uh, the, this context, we saw the uh, during the confirmation hearing of the next CENTCOM commander, uh, General Carilla, who is a distinguished uh, uh, airborne officer who has been here in the region for quite some time in different capacities and knows quite well the various uh, forces at play. Uh, he highlighted time and again 
the unique characteristic of uh, future cooperation in specifically early detection, air defense, uh, variables of common challenges to deal specifically, again, with Iranian threats that are repeatedly um, not only threatening but targeting U.S. partners and allies in the region, which are also uh, partners and strategic partners of the state of Israel. Yes, so uh, General Kirilla, who has been confirmed uh, by the Senate and uh, is uh, soon going to take over uh, from General McKenzie, um, did say that Iran is the number one uh, threat, the so-called threat of reference. But there is an irony here, because as long as Israel was affiliated with UCOM, with the European Command, uh, whose chief is also the military commander of uh, all NATO forces, Israel had to concern itself with what NATO has been doing also in the Mediterranean. And right now, uh, Israel is uh, supposedly out of Europe, but Europe is chasing Israel by virtue of the Russians being in Syria. Syria is under CENTCOM, Russia is under UCOM in the American scheme. Um, and Syria and Russia are one and the same. These Syria days. and Russia are one and the same. Turkey is part of UCOM. It is bordering Syria and acting there. So Israel will probably have to reach a new agreement, a new joint cooperation, um, sort of JCPOA, uh, with Russia regarding the deconflicting mechanism in Syria because Israel is going to keep attacking those Iranian assets uh, in Syria, and Russia may be more proactive and may uh, challenge Israel's uh, freedom of uh, movement, especially in the air. So there is a new vulnerability in the Israeli-Iranian front as it has to do with the Russians in Syria. General uh, Shafir, when, when we're talking about the Iranian threat in particular, and of course, with tensions in Europe uh, uh, escalating rapidly uh, more and more, it obviously has some uh, ramifications for, for this region. But when we're talking about Iran's nuclear aspirations and its activities related to that, regardless of diplomatic uh, uh, maneuvers and, and activities taking place, to what degree is Israel resolved to thwart Iran from becoming a nuclear threshold state, let alone acquiring a single nuclear bomb or beyond that? I think Israel is very determined uh, for this to happen. Uh, but we should look at this uh, conflict or uh, look forward. The conflict may not uh, include a strike on nuclear sites that are very difficult to uh, really operationally um, draw back the Iranian program without the uh, abilities of the U.S. Air Force. And remember that our Air Force is a tactical Air Force, meaning that um, I'm not telling uh, any uh, secrets here, the F-15 carry about 3,000 pound ordnance, whereas the B-2 and B-1 um, can use 25,000 pound 
uh, bunker busters, and anyone can understand the meaning of uh, air superiority over uh, Iranian territory for a long time, perhaps weeks, in order to take out the nuclear program. So um, maybe other targets uh, can be accessed and, and leveraged, um, such as their uh, U, uh, um, uh, um, unmanned aircraft program, uh, ports, um, ground uh, missiles, proxies in the area that the Iranians are using, um, and in Lebanon, of course. So uh, while we may not see a direct confrontation uh, between Israel and Iran concerning the actual nuclear centers, uh, through the air, of course, uh, we may see other uh, targets that may be used. I think, though, uh, that without the uh, um, operational um, collaboration with the U.S. Air Force and Navy in the area, um, we, I don't foresee a direct attack on the Iranian nuclear sites. But Israel has to check Iranian actions around and it may be in areas where it's accessible and the Iranians are uh, uh, easier to get to rather than what we think about the nuclear program. Indeed, Mr. Owen. The 1981 attack on the Iraqi reactor, which General Shafir took part in as one of the eight pilots uh, who uh, uh, struck the Osirak facility and the 2007 attack on the North Korean reactor in Syria were not preceded by Israeli bravado and Israeli threats to do it. They were surprise attacks and they achieved their goal. Um, the opposite has been happening uh, over the last decade or so with uh, various Israeli uh, political leaders claiming that uh, Israel uh, will soon attack Iran unless or until, and so on and so forth. What happened uh, in the Ukraine recently has eroded any legitimacy from uh, bombings, uh, which uh, may have collateral damage in uh, civilian areas. Now, most of the Iranian nuclear infrastructure is not um, next to uh, municipal areas. But nevertheless, uh, the operation uh, could escalate to a full-scale war and regime targets in Tehran and elsewhere could be hit. So Israel uh, would be hard-pressed not to do it kinetically, but via cyber or perhaps some uh, uh, special forces operations pinpointing uh, targets. So I'm, I'm uh, hereby uh, joining General Shafir in his conclusion, but would like to, to add uh, to it this particular angle. There are plenty of other dimensions beyond the Air Force, even though the Air Force is the strongest component within the Israeli uh, military. And therefore, I'd like to ask you, General Shafir, to what degree is within the, the current context of uh, Israel's efforts to force build up and ensure its qualitative military edge over its adversaries in the region, with its chief adversary being the Islamic Republic of Iran, 
truly engaged in trying to understand uh, its next uh, tier level um, tools in order to ensure that the Islamic Republic is truly deterred of what Israel may or may not uh, be willing to do in the foreseeable future. I think defensively, defense-wise, uh, we have put a lot of efforts into uh, trying to make sure that no Iranian missiles, with whatever warheads uh, may, uh, may be uh, stored in, uh, will arrive in Israeli airspace, but rather be taken out uh, from outside of the atmosphere by the different uh, types of weapons that we use, be it uh, the aero type, uh, that you may uh, well understand that the aero can take uh, in ICBMs uh, way up hundreds of kilometers in the air and over uh, Syrian uh, territory or even Iraqi territory when they're fired at Israel. This is the uh, defensive part. Otherwise, uh, the Iranians uh, cannot really reach Israel unless they use their proxies in Lebanon, which is a different story. Um, as far as attacking uh, Iran, obviously, because the Israeli Air Force is a tactical air force, uh, there may be other targets that may cause the Iranians uh, um, to be... Uh, uh, more responsible that are not their nuclear sites. Uh, there are, are other targets uh, in the uh, around the Hormuz Strait, and I would say that um, another thing we should be aware of is that concerning the air force, when you're when you uh, have a hammer, every problem looks to you like a nail. Um, and I suggest that in this particular case, we use uh, more wisdom than uh, brute force, that um, there's just not enough that we can bring over there to really force a change. So I would think that um, by collaborating and by uh, different tactics rather than the Air Force, more can be achieved. Uh, and, and I would also... Um, mentioned the fact that after the Russian invasion to Ukraine, there are going to be changes in the way the world uh, looks at uh, belligerency in the uh, not-too-far future. Indeed. So um, I would say don't look straight into uh, the obvious answer, but uh, there are other ways to uh, contend with the situation. And yet, uh, with realities changing, ultimately also perceptions change, and we will have to reevaluate every topic uh, anew. But with that being said, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Shafil, Mr. Oren, as well as General Kimmich, who has uh, uh, been part of the program today earlier. Uh, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.